Greetings, friends of the great beyond. This is your ghost, I mean host, ready to take you behind the veil of terror and leftist critique. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. All right, and we are recording. Uh, and hello, everybody. We are super excited to uh, have another guest joining the Spine Gang. Uh, you know him from uh, one of the best spooky left podcasts out there, Pod Damn America. You know him from the Department of Homeland Security, top 10 comedians to watch out for, uh, Jake Flores. Jake, how you doing? Good. I'm so glad to be here on uh, one of my fellow spooky left podcasts. It's, uh, it's so funny that that's a thing, but there's like a grip of us. It's cool. I'm into it. Yeah, there's like there's like the the spooky left podcasting caucus. There's there's Pod Damn America. There is the Horror Vanguard. There is the Antifada. Um, Black Banner Magic. Black Banner Black Magic. Banner, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're, we're a gang. I'm into it. We uh, right. Most most, most, most oh. occult, most powerful occult force on the left, hands down. <laughs> a murder of podcasts. <laughs> yes, that is that's that is a brilliant collective noun. I like that a lot. Um, but for <laughs> for maybe people who don't who have not come across you, come across your work. Um, do you want to give a little kind of intro? Uh, who are you? What do you do? What are you about? Yeah, totally. Um, okay, so I'm a stand-up comedian, and uh, I started a podcast about uh, leftist politics when everyone did, and um, <laughs> through just you know the organic process, it turned into, um, I guess, the, a goth podcast, uh, sort of as a joke at first. The <laughs> the line of reasoning there was that I started it with a title I thought was funny, which is Pod Damn America which is obviously a play on pod save America. And, um, it's a, it's a, it's, we're, it's a spoof on that. And we're also referencing the Reverend Wright speech where he, he says, God damn America. Um, and from there, you know, we just started going, when you start a podcast, you do that Mark Marin shit. We were like, what's up dammers, you know, and you just keep <laughs> making up nicknames. And, uh, I made a poll yeah. Asking my listeners early on what they want to be called, and I, you know, came up with a few of them. I thought "Damn Fam" was really funny. Uh, they didn't. Uh, they Shit, chose to be called "The Damned," which is the most dramatic thing ever. That's and, so uh, hell. That is so metal. <laughs> yeah, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, it was actually kind of rules, uh, you know, and so le sort of leaned into this joke. But then, actually, the more I thought about it, the more I realized, like, you know, I mean, I am like. I am a, a spooky person, and so I thought, oh, this is actually, like, a perfect motif to work with on the show because, like, uh, because, you know, a lot of what we're, what we're talking about is cultural stuff, and there's <laughs> so much of that that is, like, um, horror, uh, you know, music that I'm into, just culture in general that's really gothy and spooky. So it came all the way back around. I realized, oh, no, I should have just deliberately started this because like I also have like a podcast. Um, it's kind of defunct now, but I think I'm going to bring it back to Twitch stream. But I have I before this had a podcast called Mr. Cleo where I would get yeah. drunk and read tarot cards. And uh, so I am like already into the occult and stuff like that. 
and um you know the more the more like my show pod damn america started to kind of blow up and like um become the the main thing i worked on every week instead of something on the back burner it just absorbed all the other shit i was working on and just became like oh i just this is my this is my platform you know mm-hmm. so it's at at any given time about leftist politics but also about all this other shit that i was into which what which is all spooky shit so somehow that all just culminated in this uh this weird brand of, of goth socialism <laughs> uh well we i as a as a gothic marxist i am uh it makes me so happy to see this like emerging like podcast caucus of like occultists and and goths <laughs> and socialists it's so cool um, I don't. I've been a, I don't really. Go ahead. No, I was just saying. I've been a. I've been a fan of um, Pod Damn America for for a while. So it is. Uh, we're just so excited to have you on the show. Thanks. Um, I don't really think it's a, a, the, uh, an accident that this is kind of happening. I've been thinking about this a lot lately in um, in terms of like, you know, the left being this kind of burgeoning movement in this country, and also. Um, it's like kind of atheism. I was talking to uh, a Domian about this the other night. Something's really funny is like, you know, you're if you're a political person in this country, if you're a smart person, then you grow up, you know, and the, the first thing you're confronted with is like organized religion and you're like, well, this is bullshit, right? Mm. And then you, yeah. you know, that's when you're like a child or a teenager. And then you go, you know, move somewhere and become a bohemian fucking adult. And then suddenly in your 20s, you're like, but magic's real and it's it's funny you know because it seems regressive but i think what's actually happening is that you know because we're like trying to figure out how to live our lives better there is a uh like a real vacuum of something that you need that in a uh in a in another person's life an organized religion would fill and probably in a in a fucked up way that has uh you know eventually bad results where you're like some shitty person and you're voting against uh you know women's rights to get an abortion or something like that like organized religion is bad but the just spiritual shit itself is still something that like i think we kind of need and that's why we're going through these processes of re in like inventing our own shit and Mm -hmm. uh kind of cutting off all the vestigial parts of it and you know fulfilling that part of your mind with yeah with like tarot cards and and just like reading about supernatural stuff and like whatever the fuck your thing is i don't know i think i feel like we're kind of in the process of like something new i don't mean to get all hooky spooky and uh, new agey right off the bat (laughs) no i i i totally i totally get it because i went through like the same thing right like i like i was like one of those like brainless new atheist weirdos for a short amount of time and then it was just like so personally toxic yeah and then like and then like i kind of realized like okay like i need something there i need something in that part of my life and why not why not the occult why not tarot cards why not witchcraft it's goth as fuck it's totally on brand (laughs) and it feels good yeah well i mean it's you know we describe something as cool you know if it's it's cool and it's aesthetically cool and you think well that's just fun but it's also aesthetics are tools that religions use you know yeah so so in some weird way that's there's we're just we're just making a better one you know and a better like less strict less rigid more amorphous thing that that uses the concepts of aesthetics and 
you know beauty on some level whether you know that is something that you know the the catholic church with all its iconography takes very seriously or something like goth and metal culture uses in more of a lowbrow like comic booky way it's all, all the same tools and mechanisms at play it's just that ours is fucking tight you know and fun. <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah well like uh if i can if i can just get like uh nerd marxist for a second like this sure. is the this is the roots of a kind of gothic left because it comes out of like uh andre breton and the surrealists in between the war when they were like how do you what they called it they didn't call it goth socialism they called it modern materialism so like how do you combine like a materialist understanding of like political economy and history with an insight into like the kind of collective psyche of our cultural moment and they did it with like weird art and like automatic writing and uh, a shit ton of wine and drugs uh, and and <laughs> we get to do it we get to do it with like the aesthetics that they had passed on down to us so like there's a there's a good strong tradition basically of like weird aesthetic socialist politics that comes from that comes from like uh that weird bit of kind of the early 20th century well i mean yeah you're, that makes perfect sense when you talk about the material understanding of art because you know art is sort of this secular thing that is uh uh you know a little running on a little mirror to track from organized religion and history and uh and it makes sense that the types of us that are doing these podcasts are all very like, you know, very brushed up on the artistic, the cultural side. Um, that is what I kind of think that we bring to the table on my show a little bit because like, you know, all these leftist podcasts sprang up and good. I think it's a good thing. I think some people joke about, oh, there's too many podcasts, but like there's just a million of them and they each have, you know, a certain amount of listeners. It's not that much different than if there was just one big thing or whatever. It's actually kind of more horizontal and uh fair i think um but you know when you t when obviously like chapo trap house is this huge fucking thing that you know shifted this paradigm and caused this watershed and all these other people to be able to start doing what they're doing sometimes you you, you talk with uh your uh you know not your competitors but your your comrades in this whole thing and you go like what do we do on our show that's different that it, that makes us stand out because otherwise you don't want to just be a carbon copy of another thing you know and yeah. um something that's occurred to us recently is that like well the one the things that we're really good at that we get like the feedback on um that that people seem to go oh you have insight into this so other people don't is you know we talk about stand-up comedy because we're all stand-up comics and then we also talk about like um pop culture which a lot of people do but uh film like comedy and horror and since we're all, you know, I mean, we have like uh, a lot of experience in just comedy itself. You know, we're kind of like uh, at a point where we can start. We could just start bare bones, one of those like Marin style podcasts where it's just we talk about comedy or whatever. But to, to bounce it off of the ideas of leftism and also horror, I think, has been really fruitful and really interesting because comedy and horror, both, uh, you know, genre things in film also have kind of similar like missions in terms of what they're they're they hope to accomplish in storytelling um yeah I yeah mean, they, totally they they both are overtly trying to evoke a you know physical response even from the viewer so 
you get a lot of comparisons that can be drawn between the two things. And that's why, like, um, you know, I, I often call bullshit on people's arguments and they, they sort of uh, underestimate their audience's ability to understand comedy because we don't really do the same thing with horror. Like, everyone kind of knows when you go into a horror movie, it's a fucking it's a farce no one's it's not endorsing the people being murdered etc yeah they go yeah. off on all this stuff yeah. <laughs> and so um yeah and so like comedy and horror they kind of uh overlap and create this like interesting lens through which to look at all this stuff and that's going to go on in this movie we're talking about there's a uh, west yeah, yeah. got a he's got he's got a big comedy streak in his work and it's uh yeah, it's yeah. Fun. Uh, as as we say on the show quite a lot uh horror and i think this is true of comedy to want to do things to your body they want it they want to do they want to they kind of want to kind of like reach through that sort of crusted on cynicism and like postmodern disaffection and atomization fucking shake it out of you and give you something to kind of physically engage with and i think that's an incredible link into what we're talking about today uh i am so hyped about talking about this film we're talking about uh wes craven's people under the stairs uh ash as usual uh i would very much like it if you could give your patented brand of plot recap slash uh intro to the film uh as usual spoilers are in full effect uh ash take it away so i hadn't seen this movie uh, uh prior to jake suggesting it uh for the podcast I was aware of it, kind of, kind of vaguely in the periphery of, of horror. It's a Wes Craven movie, so you kind of, you know, it's not it's not like a hidden gem. Yeah, same, same. But um, holy, holy fucking shit! This is like the greatest <laughs> movie I have ever seen. <laughs> like unironically, like you know, we get that we get that starting sequence where 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 fools getting his tarot cards read. Yep. And then and then it goes straight from that into like like Leroy dressing him down about how like exactly how landlords function under capitalism. <laughs> and it's just like I, I couldn't I couldn't ask for a better sequence than that. That is just solid gold. Yeah, so it's, so, it's so on the nose. Right? Yeah, and I, I appreciate that too. I appreciated that it wasn't trying to be like very, you know, highbrow and artistic about it. That Wes Craven was very much like, no motherfuckers, landlords are a waste of humanity. <laughs> uh, yeah, totally. So this story follows a uh, fool who has just turned 13, uh, is living in like a shitty rented apartment in a rough part of town. The landlord has just decided that they're going to evict them because, in the small print of their contract, if you can't if you can't pay your rent, if you're late, you pay triple. They don't have triple fools. Mom is sick, uh, and then Leroy turns up, played by Ving Rhames, and in the Ving Rhames, uh, just the absolute man, Ving Rhames, and in the opening, <laughs> like a ten minutes has got me like ready to declare a permanent people's war on all landlords everywhere. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> So he's like half, halfway through his first his first speech, I was like, "You're goddamn right, man!" And I was like, "Oh wait, no, I'm in my apartment alone right now." <laughs> uh, and so, uh, Ving Rhames' character Leroy is uh, planning a job, planning to to rob this rich piece of shit because he has an extensive coin collection. And Ash, maybe you can pick things up from there. Yeah, yeah. So, so they're planning to rob specifically uh, fools and everyone else's landlord. Right, right. They're they're gonna put they're gonna pull like the classic Robin Hood plot of, of, of taking back from from these rich weirdos and giving back to the poor. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they 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 go to they go to scope out the place to stake it out. That doesn't really work out, you know. Uh, the it's it's owned by a couple. Uh, they they uh, don't have proper names. They're known as mommy and daddy. Which I'm sure I'm sure for like all of our horny on main listeners, this episode is going to be fucking fantastic for you. <laughs> so soak it up while you get it. But um, they they go to stake out the house and it doesn't doesn't quite work out. Uh, one of them one of the men's up dead, thrown to the cannibals in the basement. The uh, fool and Leroy get trapped trapped in this giant sprawling house. Which for our horror savvy listeners out there, and I'm sure this is going to make uh, John incredibly happy on the inside. This is the same house that they filmed Rob Zombie's Halloween in. Oh, uh, I, I didn't know that. Oh, so, God. Uh, Horror so man, we, God, we can't, we can't escape that. We can't escape Rob Zombie's Halloween. It is with God us in, in spirit everywhere we go. <laughs> but uh, as, as things continue, uh, the, we wind up pointing out that the basement is full of mutilated cannibal children. Uh, mommy and Daddy have imprisoned a little girl in a bedroom and, and keep her under lock and key. There, there is a uh, tongueless boy named Roach who lives in the walls of the house. A mad dog named Prince who uh, is under Daddy's command. Uh, there's a phrase. There's a phrase that I'm sure no one is going to clip out of context for me. <laughs> uh, and through through the course of things, um, Fool winds up getting all of the coins. He winds up uh, uh, taking them back out, and. Uh, he he finds out that he's got enough money. He like him and his family are set now through through the coins, but but he needs to go back. Like he winds up escaping, but he has to go back and save Alice, the little girl, who mm-hmm. who is also imprisoned in this house. Uh, he he goes back in, uh, finds a giant vault of money in the basement. Finds that the house is also rigged with dynamite, which is very convenient for him. Uh, blows up the entire house. Uh, magically survives the the explosion that that he caused from the middle of it. And uh, the, the, the close of the movie is money just raining down on, on all of the uh, like, like poor tenants that the landlords have been screwing over this whole time. This movie is rules. Beautiful. Like, this is incredible. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is like why this is like, like somebody nominate this for like a, like a DSA Oscar. Do they do that? Is there like a DSA Oscar caucus? <laughs> oh, there is now. Uh, so, 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 Jake, where, where do you want to start with this? Okay, so I want to start directly at the beginning, the very first shot, because yeah. uh, I mean, I, I've seen this movie three times in my life. Uh, first time was when I was real young; I was like ten or something. I remember renting it from a video store, and, uh, and it legitimately scared me, which is really funny on, mm-hmm. on rewatch because it's so fucking silly. Um, but I remember being real weirded out by the just the parents, and um, then I watched it. I think when I was about 20 years old, I remember rewatching it and, uh, you know, just thinking it was like really funny and cool and stuff. And uh, but 32, so it was like 12 years ago upon this third watch. I'm realizing, oh, I OK. And also watching it like for this specific purpose, there's all this overt class stuff. And that's really interesting. But the other thing about it is that it uses a, a motif of tarot cards and mm-hmm. I have since the last time I watched it, like learned, like I've, I you know, had that podcast at Mr. Cleo where I'd like read tarot cards. And even though it was a joke, kind of, uh, I still learned what they all mean. <laughs> so the uh, what they're so what they're doing with tarot cards jumped out at me. And um, it honestly, like made me think about Wes Craven a lot because he's not super heady like he's he kind of isn't he kind of isn't like you think of him as <laughs> like oh he made freddy krueger he's kind of a silly like comic booky horror guy but he i think he's yeah, made yeah. some smart stuff 
Scream, oh, yeah. Scream is very, you know, meta. Um, it's a very cool kind of final concept that he came up with in his career. But as far back as this, if you look at, you know, where this movie came from, he read a story about some uh, thieves that or some robbers that like broke into a house in, uh, I think, in Los Angeles. And then they discovered like that this house they'd broken into had stuff like this going on. There were children being locked up in their um you know by their parents and so he decided to make a movie about it but in making a movie about it he kind of hit the nail on the head with some class stuff um Mm -hmm. and also told the story really well with these just motifs in tarot so you you open up the movie with uh fool's sister is giving him a tarot reading on his birthday it's his 13th birthday um the 13th birthday is you know in a sort of a, a Jungian concept like a rite of passage and she's sort of telling him like wow you know the, the story of your rite of passage here is going to be fucked up but I wrote down the cards <laughs> um, it's really funny they went out of their way to actually like give him a, a very accurate terrifying tarot reading in the beginning yeah. of the story they could have done what what you know uh, what storytellers often do in film and TV, where they just they just gloss over it, they just throw whatever cards out there and just assume it's like, yeah, it's like yeah. death and the devil and like yeah <laughs> yeah they could have done something that like I mean I guess what I'm trying to describe is a there's a movie called Punchline where they clearly didn't research stand-up comedy at all and it's very funny to watch if you're a comedian because it's like a movie from the 80s where tom hanks plays a comedian and then there's like lockers in the back of a comedy club that (laughs) half of the scenes take place and you go wow they didn't do any research on this this they but they know no one else did either so okay i whatever no one's gonna notice but if you like me as someone who knows how to read tarot cards when i watch this i went holy crap they actually fucking did it good for them yeah yeah yeah. um so (laughs) I wrote down a, a few of the cards and she's not really doing them in like a real spread that makes any sense, but I don't expect that much. But, uh, but the, <laughs> she, one of the, the first card you see is the nine of swords, which is that, uh, that card of like that woman s- sitting up in bed kind of like with her head in her hands. She's got all these swords on the wall. It's, mm-hmm. um, famous right now for being in a, a very funny meme which is that is that that is exactly where i thought of it where it's like <laughs> one picture is like i don't know which card it is but it's like someone carrying a bunch of swords and then oh, yeah. so, it's, so it's like me going out getting hammered and coming home with a bunch of swords me <laughs> yeah. waking up hung over as fuck with a bunch of swords <laughs> yeah. yeah it's really funny we've been but, there we've all been there <laughs> oh of course who amongst us you know but the nine of swords is like uh it's got a nickname it's referred to as the lord of cruelty and it's like one of the worst cards you can pull that you that you would have to know tarot to actually know is one of the worst cards you can pull, you know? Um yeah, yeah. with all this like anxiety and dread and stuff. And then there's um the page of pentacles you can see in the background is another really bad one. It's uh got to do with this beggar on the street. Um the nine of staves is probably represents the climax of this movie where he's sort of gotta overcome something. And then there's like judgment. I mean judgment is a card if you look at it, there's um there's there's a like a horn there's an angel playing a horn from the sky and literally like the undead like climbing out of their graves and shit and uh you know so that seems like this obvious reference to these like these almost dead cannibals in the basement of this um 
in this this haunted house, you know. And then there's obviously death and the devil. Mm-hmm. Death, you know, obviously cool gnarly card, <laughs> and uh, and the devil, <laughs> and then the devil's like got in the Rider Waite tarot deck, the one that they're using in you know the big universally known tarot deck. Um, and it does have like an image that is very accurate to like the couple that is the vil- the that represent the villain in this movie, which is that you know the devil has like a man and a woman chained to him and represents all of uh, all of this concept of like bondage and locks and like contracts and stuff like that, which is a kind of double entendre. I might be reading too much into this, but it's like a referencing all their crazy locks and you know gimp mm-hmm. suits and chains and all this stuff, but also like rent contracts leases yeah. right so like whoa cool right off the bat uh, and then obviously it ends on the fool and you learn that his nickname is fool you know and uh he's he represents or he's represented by the card the fool in tarot which is um you know arguably the protagonist of the story that's being told in the cards of the tarot mm-hmm. so you know great really cute way to set up a story um and then he's sort of explained to uh through this reading to be in a situation where he's got to you know he walk backwards through the sun and fucking come out burned up as a a man and not a boy and yada 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 and he's 13 years old and all that stuff but that's like the first fucking 30 seconds of the movie really interesting and well told very cool yeah 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 totally and i love the i love the idea of like there's a kind of like wonderful bleakness about that because it's like you know, people who come from a, like a really privileged background, they have a kind of very protected and costed childhood. And you go, you're going to be fine when you grow up. Everything's going to be fine for you. But like the fool, it's like you're 13 now. So here's just how terrible things yeah. are going to be. <laughs> Thir- 13, time to time to like face reality, man. Like this is going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And well, yeah, because I mean, the beginning of the story is so dire. It's like his sister is sort of low key implying that she's been like, you know, working as a sex worker and all this stuff, and they're all freaked out. And his mom's got cancer, um, and so she gives him a proper reading. That, yeah, it's not like, um, you know, we're breaking out the Ouija board and it's girls' night or whatever. It's mm-hmm. like it's got this real um, gloomy outlook to it, which yeah. is, um, you know, which is just a great way to start a story. Um, the other thing I'll say uh, is getting into the, the story a little bit. Obviously, right off the bat, the idea of a, a like a horror antagonist landlord is so fun and so left, you know, uh, and you get really amped up with this whole Ving Rhames character's, you know, attitude about the whole thing. It's really cool. Uh, then they go to this house and the movie introduces us to the, the two uh, antagonists. And um, so... Like we said, they ref- they refer to each other as mommy and daddy, right? Yeah. Well, in case anyone had any doubts about the you know overt class warfare you know theme that's going on here, they clearly. I mean, the the actors that play mommy and daddy are um, they're from Twin Peaks. They played a, a married couple in yeah, Twin yeah, yeah. Peaks. <laughs> that's where if you're watching this and you're like, where the fuck do I know that guy's face from? That's where he's from. <laughs> but that's a he also looks like ronald reagan right yeah <laughs> yeah Ron- yeah they, i looked this up and apparently like um they do he is called elder Robison, and she is called mrs Robison. and it's like oh you mean elder 
Ray, Ray, Reagan. Ray, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so like you know it's so heavy handed and funny. Um, I don't I don't know how many people know this about Ronald and Nancy Reagan, but they refer to each other as mommy and daddy, like yeah. uh, oh, in no. their relationship. Right? It's <laughs> it's really gross and really weird, and it's a thing that is. I think one of those um, like regional things, like people from the south call their your grandparents like Mima and Peepaw and that sort of shit. Mm-hmm. But it's a really obscure one, and I've I've met a couple mm. people like this in my life, and uh, and I've figured, you know, you can almost tell like like when my mom talks to references my dad, she'll 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 just call him dad sometimes and it's because she's saying your dad she's just dropping yeah, the yeah, ear just like yeah. phonetically or whatever and it's like Ugh, but it's still creepy and you know? like oh, stop doing that you know um <laughs> stop it <laughs> and my mom's kind of white trash so it's like okay i get where this is coming from it's coming from your weird ass family that you grew up with um i mean i mean i've said this before and i will say it again there is nothing that is more likely to make me a full-on like freudian psychoanalyst than like conservative american politicians and they're like <laughs> weird disgusting psychosexual like <laughs> I real mean, mike uh, pence hours here oh. yeah <laughs> and uh and that's what's going on with these characters is that they're you know they're supposed to be kind of they're supposed to be super creepy and the idea is supposed to be that this creepiness is uh correlated with their conservatism because they are fucking literally the reagans and literally yeah. the enemy in terms of uh you know conservative politics i mean they're, they're class enemies um so it's really he funny he has a fondness for like dressing up in like a leather and chain <laughs> outfit <laughs> the- what, what is what is with ving rames having the worst luck with guys in full body bondage suits <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe it's well see maybe it's in his contract Maybe when he does movies, <laughs> he's like, "I've and got it, this one thing." That we, oh yeah. and it's like, it's like uh, that's the best uh, writer I've ever heard of. I, yeah. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to like get too, get too sort of like unnecessarily abstract. But there's a, there's absolutely a connection between the the weird sexual pathologies of the right and like this kind of like political authoritarianism. Like, Wilhelm Reich was writing about this back in the 30s when talking about fascism in Germany. Yeah. And it's like, there is there is a connection, right? There's a connection between these, this kind of weird sexual economy and their desire for kind of capitalist power. You look at, you look at Donald Trump, like, literally making out with the American flag at CPAC. <laughs> and, it's, and it's like, you don't, you don't even need to read something like Anti-Oedipus by Deleuze and Guattari to get it. It's like, yeah, we get, there's a connection here, right? There's a connection. Flags and, and power and, like, the ability to dominate another person politically is also tied up in their weird gross make me want to bathe in bleach sexual <laughs> deviancy <laughs> right and i think like so, so earlier you mentioned like like locks and chains and bondage like echoing through the tarot cards and then through through the landlord arrangement and this is like one thing that really jumped out at me when i was watching this movie right is that like you know like we're like we're literally locked and enchained and in, a, in like a bondage-esque situation with with our like rental agreements agreements in like giant scare quotes Mm. but like 
you know, the, the mirror with the bondage here and, and the bondage, like the BDSM attitudes, like like the weird, like daddy, mommy, little relationship they've got going on. It, like, like the fundamental thing for me is that like none of that is like consensual. It's all like really toxic and fucked up and weird. Yeah. And they try and like hide it underneath this visage of they're like, oh, they're just a nice, like conservative couple. But like, like I can't think of like, a single like weird left Twitter account that isn't openly disgustingly fetishistic and horny 24 seven. And it's wonderful <laughs> and amazing when we do it. Yeah. Because we're not also rent seeking psychopaths. I was going to bring up that exact point, actually, oddly enough. Yeah. Nice. Is, uh, that, yeah. You know, we, 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 go ahead. No, go on. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, we're telling a story here. And so there are like, and, uh, and because it involves comedy, and horror and these genre things that deviate from the truth a little bit i think a more humorless storyteller might have stopped and gone we can't do this because this is actually like queer phobic or something like that but yeah. uh and honestly like i i do feel like a little bit i do feel a little guilty about how much i love this movie because on some level i don't actually enjoy the trope of uh, all all conservatives are sex freaks i think it's actually way more powerful of a way to make fun of them but I, I I think it's it has more punch to it, assuming that like they have bad sex, you know, like Trump probably oh, yeah. is bad at sex. Like, I think that's funnier. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I go back and forth about it because like I do think that what you're describing, whereas like everyone on our when someone on our side is horny and weird, it's awesome. And, uh, you know, queer sometimes and uh, you know fucking good for them and then when it's a republican it's like you can you feel like a license to be openly disgusted by them or something <laughs> yeah. and it's, you know it's kind of a funny well, catch-22 I, I don't think sex really belongs to either side i think it's across mm -hmm. the board like some people like some weird shit and some people like whatever but um but that being said like like i said like comedy t takes precedent here though these characters oh, are yeah so good i mean it's just so funny that this guy gets fucking he gets pissed off and he runs to another room and puts on an entire gimp suit to go on a murder <laughs> rampage that clearly has to take a while to put on and stuff and it's like <laughs> you know the angrily sweating his way into it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's so much theater in these characters that like that tells that tells you about them like when they kill someone they are so consumed with uh, joy that they just start dancing and they start dancing like, very conservatively like they're dancing to like yeah. Sinatra or something like that it's so fucking funny like I think I, mean, I think you bring up a really good point with the um with, with kind of like this distinction where like you know like it's really funny that they don't enjoy any kind of like sex or like hedonistic pleasure right because you're totally right like like you know like yeah this is exactly what i was gonna say yeah yeah they're 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 living in like this weird like bubble dream world of theirs where they can do anything they want have anything they want and what they choose is to have like what what is visually the worst bdsm and kink sex i've ever seen <laughs> and when they decide to dance it's like this like like obviously white supremacist little hoedown shuffle or something like these yeah. people are like totally anhedonic even when they're balls deep in like the craziest pleasure you could possibly have. Yeah. And it's, well, a, good, this it's is, a good dunk on conservative people for that reason. Um, yeah, I was, I was going to say exactly regarding the, uh, just, we're going to jump back to something. Um, yeah. When you're talking about the Nazis, the Nazis were like very, yeah, they, they dressed like Rob Halford. Like they, 
they overtly <laughs> were like kind of they were also ex- expressing this motif very psychosexually very freudianly and um they uh i don't know it's interesting to think about like where does that come from does it come from whatever is causing the politics here because like these two characters also later on in the story you will come to learn that they are like insane they're uh and they're insane via like incest like being like a a like third or fourth generation of incest because of their family lineage or whatever so like the the implication there is like i don't know i mean it's just just, you're supposed to be fucking spooky characters or whatever um i mean it's a classic it's a classic horror trope isn't it It goes all the way back to like edgar Allan poe and like the 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 decline and fall of the house of usher where it's like this is like a family bloodline that's become sort of corrupted in some way yeah totally um and the other thing i was gonna say about the uh about the lock the the motif of like chains and locks and stuff is that you know it's um yeah like you're right that the rent contract is non-consensual and it very much mirrors the devil having this yeah. you know this person chained at his uh you know at his, his knees or whatever he's this big giant monster and there's a power dynamic there but there's also um the house itself is just rigged with locks and so everything has this power dynamic of uh you know locking and preventing and like binding it's uh it's really fun the way they you know they uh they took a thing and made it mean like five different things it means rent it means these people's sexual relationship it means the house it means the physical mechanisms that are gonna further the plot like not being able to escape from the house or move from one room to another or whatever um yeah yeah. that's good movie stuff i think you know yeah totally you get it while you're watching the movie you don't have to watch it 10 times it's not that thick you know it's a just fun for storytelling i mean i think that's true though isn't it it's like part of this part of the reason why why there's a comedy element to it is because of their distinct lack of pleasure (laughs) Uh, their distinct lack because it's like yeah uh, i I just wanted to kind of like reiterate that i do think that that's a good point that occasionally it can be this this oh like conservatives are all like psychosexual monsters it is a, is a is a way of being a bit sort of like queer phobic but it's like yeah. it's also true because there's an inability to admit what you really want and that's like a classic freudian thing right you can't really you can't admit that what you really want is this consensual uh bdsm kink relationship so it has to be sublimated into this kind of like weird uh it's like a sexual economic domination of like an entire neighborhood. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, like the the reason the reason right wingers are generally tend towards this kind of psychosexual weirdness is because they're unable to admit their actual desires. Uh, so that's why they do things like imprison children in the walls of their house and and. Uh, then you know, do their we- weird leaving three foot of space between them <laughs> dance. Yeah. So, so if you're if you're suggesting that if, if everyone was open with the weird queer sex that they want to have, there would be no more landlords. That is literally <laughs> the future I'm working for. So I 100% support this. That's this is a- this is the future that liberals want. <laughs> I mean, that does seem to be it. Like a lot of the time, right? Like, um, you ever seen the movie Harvey Milk, or it's just called Milk, rather? Um, yeah, yeah. There's a great, uh, 
scene where his conflict milks conflict you know being with this clearly closeted gay uh conservative politician is uh illustrated when the politician shows up drunk the guy eventually kills him shows up drunk at like a party and he's like he it's as if he's looking through like a window you know and he's sad and he's like i want to i want to go in there and party with the gays because he's gay you know and obviously so the argument there being that his his conservatism his uptightness is uh what's probably unhealthy and causing all this damage to be uh played out you know through his politics extrovertedly so he's like yeah I, the, the repression is like the enemy in this situation um and yeah if, if these people could, would just could just like uh you know fuck <laughs> then they, <laughs> they wouldn't be like this you know this huge this huge problem in society and that's like a really fun way of uh explaining like you know this this thing that they probably in reality the the person this story is based on you know just a, a fucked up landlord is there's all sorts of reasons that they're like that but to explain it like that is like really funny to go like you know it's it's just this they're just fucking insane and repressed or whatever yeah yeah, yeah, totally. I'm and and that that idea of like what I really love is the moments when like the police arrive and they dress up like he gets out of his like leather bondage gear and he's got on like the the dowdiest like outfit of like beige trousers trousers and a beige pullover and it's like <laughs> you can't you can't even be honest you can't even be honest with what you wear <laughs> well it's this also not who you were. it's also very Twin Peaks and the you know the, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah that whole thing going on in twin peaks is like you know you, you drive past a a quaint neighborhood and all of the people are standing on their lawn doing you know 1950s shit and waving at you behind their white picket fence and then as soon as they go inside something really dark and creepy happens um yeah and it shows you how the conservative like you know dream the thing that maga references back to the fucking uh suburban utopia is like a facade that they use to hide behind yeah a hundred percent that's true of I mean, we talked about this in our episode on halloween right like suburbia is is this kind of ideological dream that's what you want you know you present the perfect image but beneath the image you strip that away and what you get is this kind of like seething cauldron of like uh, sexual repression and like <laughs> violence and transgression and, and and weirdness and like Reaganite economic politics. <laughs> yeah, the only other thing I'll say, uh, I think, on this is that um, the so it's I mean I don't know it raises they are uptight i think that is what's supposed to be going on here in the story is that they are conservative the yeah. the devil card just because i'm going I'm looking at this through the lens of the tarot the devil card does represent like hedonism but i think in in their case the hedonism is is hedonism quite in the sense that it is destructive to like other people it's not just like oh have a good time it's like yeah, yeah. they're taking their physical hedonistic desires to an extent that they don't care if it destroys an entire zip code because it's like all in service of their you know extremely neurotic fucking weird psychosis um yeah like they both I, totally they, i mean they both are repressed and are also very horny like they are kind of interplaying with each other like you know 
the entire movie and like like this something seems like it's going on between them but then they just devolve into screaming at each other and uh and, and also the other thing that we haven't talked about yet which is that their entire like mission as it turns out is to apparently sort of like recreate themselves in a like a uh a daughter and a son because they turned out also to be brother and sister i think we mentioned that already um but fool discovers you know he runs into this like girl who's like terrified and and normal singing seeming and not crazy and uh she lives in the house and she's she's never left and then he's you know she tells him that like all those cannibals in the basement are various boys that they tried to uh to make into her to make her into a male counterpart you know, it was just like this well-behaved child that they all have that would have this, you know, psychotic, terrifying family unit relationship with. Um, that's another conservative yeah. thing is the family unit is at play here. You know, they're they very much want, um, you know, to be the Simpsons or the Flintstones or whatever in this like fucked up, you know, mirror image way. Um, and then you learn that, oh, every single one of the boys, though, did something uh Oh, the, the third motif that happens in the movie is um, so ever so in, if you're one of the boys that they I guess capture and then try to to make into the son in their family, and you either see something, hear something, or say something that offends them, they uh, I guess destroy your sight, hearing, or uh, ability to speak, um, and then throw you in the basement and make you a cannibal, um, and. So I guess the the third motif here is you do see a statue in their in their like home early on when Fool breaks in, which is like a see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil thing. Mm-hmm. There's like three monkeys, <laughs> and uh, I don't yeah, yeah. I don't really know where that comes from. I don't know if that comes from mythology or if that's just some weird Garfield shit. It just seems like something you just see in like offices and shit like that. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, totally. And there is this there is this um, drive throughout it, isn't there, towards that kind of puritanical total control. And I mean, it's like it's still there. I mean, you just look at you look at all of like the president of the United States now has like reply guys on Twitter. <laughs> it's, it's amazing where it's like, oh, thank you, Mr. Trump. Thank you for making America so strong, so strong and powerful again. <laughs> and it's like, just just like, let's let's just relax about this, you know, um, because hedonism like it involves like the mutual consent of multiple people. And um, so what they have is not hedonism. It's a kind of like drive to to sort of inflict themselves on other people but we should probably talk then about the kind of class structures at work in this totally um well yeah obviously they represent the reagans and actually something just occurred to me so i um also another thing that hit me when i was watching this movie was like oh my god we should remake this movie that would be so fucking cool right now because um you know we're in this age of rebooting fucking everything for just whatever yep. reason, just because it makes money or whatever. But I th- what occurred to me when I was watching this is what we should be rebooting are stories that are relevant again, you know, like 30 years later. And this one, especially because it's about class and there's a sort of rising class consciousness in America, I think would like do well. I think it would hit and like resonate with people if we were able to retell this story. But if we retold it right, we'd have to do 
this thing that you're seeing a little bit in other stories um other like like us kind of kind of draws this parallel mm, I and mean, it's yeah, a very yeah. obvious parallel but we'd have to switch it from fucking reagan to trump right but that that now means that the couple the mommy and daddy would have to be fucking donald trump and melania which would be so <laughs> funny they would be so fucking weird you know <laughs> um i don't know uh, it would work though it would work though as well because like 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 reagan had terrible taste like aesthetically yeah uh and it's it's reflected in this home which is like a sort of like uh you know it's a 1950s vision of like rich americans and so if you did it like you could you'd have to do it in like a hotel if you're gonna do a modern right, a, a hotel with like a palatial gold like corner suite just, while the rest of it is gold, kind of like moldy gold everywhere <laughs> Yeah, that works though, because then it's like, oh my god, it's an even bigger building. It's like a nightmare hotel, you know. Even harder to escape because it's got all these built-in, you know, weird trap doors and locks and stuff like that, and like the entire system and the entire thing's plated in gold. I think we could do it's it. Very, very H. H. Holmes. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I think that that, that really speaks to because one of the main plot points, like one of the things that we learned from Lior right off the bat, is that. You know, mommy, mommy and daddy want to kick out everybody who lives in this building so that they can gentrify it and turn it into high-end condos and get quote-unquote clean people to live there. Uh, and I feel like like that that is that is literally how the entire Trump economic system has worked, right? Gen gentrify a space, kick out yeah. every minority, and then turn it into inaccessible hotels and housing. And like like you know, this is a lot of what we're living through. Like one of the reasons rent prices are so high in places like New York, L.A., Chicago, London is that a lot of these properties are vacant most of the time because they're just asset holdings for wealthy people or they're empty Airbnbs. Yeah. Yeah, that actually is another reason when I was watching this, I was like, oh, this is fucking like a my this is about my podcast is it like we're they're trying <laughs> some they're fucking landlords trying to do that to our building right now. And yeah, yeah. So also it would be a good movie to reboot because so many people are talking about this exact fucking concept right now. Gentrification is in full swing in so many fucking cities. And it isn't really like I know this is, you know, this story, especially from our perspective, is told very overtly and very heavy handedly. But most movies about this sort of shit right now would be very race reductionist. I mean, it is about yeah. race because it is that's a big factor in gentrification, but it's extremely about class, too. Um you know, maybe not entirely case in point, but the, to uh, to tell you something about this, like there, there's there's also white people in this story that are on the you know the lower class side. There's the uh, oh, yeah. Ving Rhames's uh, friend. I forgot what his name is. He gets killed. Um, there's also, I guess, whoever the fuck they're stealing these babies from. The, the only big plot hole I think in this movie that jumped out at me is that like the neighborhood looks to be mostly people of color, and yet we learn that the boys that become the people under the stairs are stolen from the neighborhood. So, uh, a, how, you know, how they not notice where all these kids are going and B, um, they're all white. So, well, I mean, I guess it makes sense that the, the Reagan couple would go out and like specifically search for white kids cause yep. they're like racist or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't think about it too hard. It's a, a dumb movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that does make me think that, like, Us is a really good modern iteration of a very similar story. Um, because I think there's something similar... I think there's something similar going on there, actually. But that's a really interesting point, that, like, 
one of the one of the ways in which I mean it's 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 literally it's literally like an image of of like working class uh, revolution, right? Oh you have, yeah, especially you have that a, final sequence where, where they like where the the dominated group that have been literally kept in the basement and like made to eat people claw their way up into the walls and like tear the place apart it's like yeah yeah that that our, our goth dad Karl marx is watching that going yep yep exactly <laughs> yeah well that is <laughs> it's also kind of like us in that it cleverly tells the story of class warfare through the beginning of the movie the people under the stairs the lower class being portrayed as the monster and yep. then you learn no they're the fucking heroes of this story you know the yeah. the the over guy is the monster and they you know we see a little uprising at the end and uh i guess they just sort of run off into the night <laughs> but i uh, i love that that moment where like the one main uh uh stair person is walking away while the money's running around and, he, and we get that little panning shot of him walking through the crowd just kind of like looking chipper having a good time before he takes off into the night yeah they have these ghoulish faces for whatever reason <laughs> right. for having lived their entire lives in the dark and you know being cannibals for some reason they look like bad makeup like vampires from uh you know in like uh, halfway through the transformation sequence in like the lost boys or something like that um yeah. It doesn't really make any sense, but, you know, whatever. It's funny. Um, that guy, the main guy that everyone references, I just, I was watching with closed captions on, so I uh, I learned that his name is Stairmaster, which Ooh. I don't know if that means anything, but it's pretty fun. <laughs> it's also the name of exercise <laughs> equipment, I think. Right. <laughs> well, he, he does he does work out and strengthen his, his class consciousness throughout the movie, so I think that there is some kind of, like, metaphorical work there <laughs> there's also roach um i think we haven't mentioned him yet but there's a kid oh yeah shout out to roach <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah big big shout out star boy roach you did good in this movie <laughs> there's a kid who um who was one of the the cannibals and then he escaped into the walls and now travels freely between the can the cannibal basement dungeon thing and like the main part of the house and is constantly at war with uh prince the rottweiler and the the parents and um he's got his tongue cut out obviously because he said something um but he has a big fucking grin on his face the whole time and uh that <laughs> yep. I, if i if i'm going to continue this tarot thing i think he's uh maybe represented by the hanged man because the hanged man is a card yeah. who's like literally been hanged but he's still like grinning that's like something that's supposed to uh mean something about that card also um just to round out this tarot things i was watching and i noticed there were like a few other symbols throughout the movie um there's a sword at one point which is on the end of a gun it's a bayonet um, I think there might be a staff in the fireplace poker that Fool grabs at one point to fight the dog oh, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. parents. And um, and there's also there's candles, which, you know, those appear a little bit in the tarot. Um, but then the main thing is the treasure that these people are hoarding is literally coins, which is one of the suits of the tarot, pentacles. Um, they have gold coins which is like yeah. nonsense who has gold coins but i guess they're, they're supposed to be that they've been there for a long time or whatever um i think that's yeah it. i definitely think you've also kind of got um fool's apartment complex is this like giant collapsing building is kind of the tower oh well yeah, also yeah. the the house itself being blown up at the end of oh, it yeah. i think maybe is the tower yeah very much 
um because it's yeah the tower is basically like 9 11 or whatever it's like mid being destroyed uh so you I, I re- go ahead oh i was just gonna say like i really think that uh roach there, there's something like really uplifting and positive about him right because like just the sheer joy he takes in tormenting daddy <laughs> and, and, and just like forcing him to go on these like wild hunts and knowing that he'll never ever ever be able to catch him and oh, the whole time he's just got this like honest like full mouth grin because he knows he's winning and that like no matter how bad things get for him because his situation is really grim like outside of the context of like the funny Wes Craven film but like you know like no matter what no matter how bad things get you can always live for spite and I think that is the <laughs> yeah, lesson Roach gives us yeah yeah absolutely him spite gets things done <laughs> <laughs> spite is direct action him and Prince I think kind of represent like different class traders whereas like he's come up oh, from yeah. the bottom and is like a Robin Hood you know he's like a he's fighting the good fight and then like Prince is like this animal that's just they just deploy you know he's just like they just go find dogs I mean Prince doesn't have any fucking self-awareness he's a dog or whatever but um but it's fun that like they, that they're like mini bosses that fight each other in this story mm-hmm. <laughs> um what the fuck was I gonna say that's something else about Roach uh should we should we should we talk about uh the cops in this film totally because this this ties back into what you were talking about in terms of gentrification being being um, a racialized issue, being a class issue, it's also something that's like for enforced by the cops, right? Cops will, cops and bailiffs will come and turn you out of your home. Uh, if you're uh, a young black kid running around a fancy neighborhood, I was there was a bit of me that was like, if they spot him, are they going to call the cops? Because it's like, even though he's dressed, he's dressed up as like a Boy Scout at one point to try and talk his way into the house. <laughs> yeah. And it's like that. Even that would be no protection, right? Yeah. Even back in the even back in the nineties, that would be no protection against uh, the the racist violence of of the cops. But when they turn up at this house, which is sketchy as all hell, where it has like padlocks on the outside of the windows and like an abandoned van on the drive that is basically like someone's been murdered here. Um, they come out and they're like, "Oh yeah, of course. Do you want to do you want to have some coffee?" I hope you catch the guys who were seen poking around here. Bye. And the cops are like, yeah, fine, cool, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, the You know, the ending of Get Out is that this cop car rolls up and then you have a, your heart drops and you think, oh, my God, it's the cops and they're going to fucking take this guy to jail. And then, oh, my God, it turns out the TSA worker is, you know, is rescuing him or yeah. whatever, right? But there's an alternate ending. I think they filmed another ending, like a a darker ending where it is literally just the cops and they just the end of that story is that he just fucking goes to prison and um mm-hmm. you know ultimately it's just i think maybe too much of a bummer <laughs> of a story but um that is sort of the feeling you get every time the cops show up in this movie is that uh oh it's like this this thing is continuing to fester this evil thing that this movie is about because the cops are not a uh like a neutral arbiter they are just a tool of the bourgeoisie you know they uh just a tool of the ruling class and uh so that yeah they they act as this sort of plot device that just continues the pain and continues the horror like further and further and further because they they have no interest and it's really funny because like the the main characters aren't even you know they're also like afraid of the cops it's just that they they know how to manipulate them. They know how to get away with it via like their privilege. Um, they don't outright pay them yeah, off co- or anything. Co- cops, 
cops and landlords uh, are on the same side. Yeah, yeah, like, like functionally. Simple as that. As simple as that. They both they both defend the same kind of interests, and like those this landlord, this this kind of creepy landlord pair are nervous of the cops in the same way that they're kind of nervous of their attack dog. Yeah, because you 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 know the dog might it conceivably turn on you. That's that's a possibility, but it's like also they're going to be useful for you. Oh, I re- yeah, and I, I I really like how Fool is kind of um, inherently aware of this. Yeah, totally. You know, because because when he when he calls uh, the the cops and he and he's like, oh, I need to report some child abuse. You know, the the way that that scene cuts is it almost cuts like, okay, that's going to be the end, and they're going to go uh, bust them and find all these children that have been captured, and the cops are going to save the day. But then you, you get this really prolonged sequence where the cops are just kind of like worthlessly eating cookies. <laughs> and then they're shoot out of the house. And then and then mommy and daddy are like, whoo, bullet dodged. But then you find out that Fool had like stowed away in a cabinet. And, and he, which means that Fool knew the cops weren't going to do shit, but they were going to be a yeah. great distraction so he could sneak into the house to get the real work done. Yeah, he's very street smart. <laughs> yeah. And yet he wants to and be a doctor. entirely appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I love that recurring storyline <laughs> that he that he really wants to be a doctor. I, I want to uh, know a doctor of what though. I really hope it's like a, he he wants to get like a PhD in like 1600s Scottish literature or something. <laughs> <laughs> but there, but I actually I actually think that's really interesting because he says this to Le- Leroy at one point, and Leroy is like, "You should be grateful that I'm teaching you a trade. That I'm teaching you how to I'm teaching you how to like break and enter." Um, so it's like there's this an awareness of the, those kind of like discourses of like gentrification, of rigid class hierarchy, of racialized domination. It also means that like a young kid who has been born in the wrong uh, apartment block can't be a doctor. Um, you know this. Uh, this kind of reminds me of something that um, you know. I know we actually when we were talking about doing this episode, we did talk about doing the purge at one point and um yeah, yeah. I, it's it's been done so i i decided to to pick this instead uh just because like i don't know if you've heard like leslie lee uh or like the antifada kids talk about it they're they i think they just kind of they just nailed it and so i was like you know oh, yeah yeah, yeah uh, totally. i'm gonna say about this but i did end up watching it just on a on a whim the other night the first purge which is the last one that's come out sequentially but chronologically is the first one and it's uh <laughs> It's also like got a lot of class warfare stuff in it, and it does something similar in this movie because they're also very racial. Um, is that the movie starts off and it's it's about thieves, and you almost think, you know, is it? Well, I mean, more so in the Purge than this one, but in the Purge, you think, or is this going to be the bad guy in the movie, this like gang leader, this thief? And then it's very sympathetic, and the you know the criminal, according to the U.S. laws, the person who's a criminal, um, is ends up being the protagonist in the story, and so it's very empathetic. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys, even I mean, even like the even uh, uh, Ving Rhames, even Leroy, and his uh, his white trash uh fucking max dad from it's always sunny in philadelphia buddy character <laughs> they're they're but they're no they're not portrayed as evil for doing what they're doing they're no. portrayed as oh, uh, no. you yeah. know victims of circumstance and yeah and he goes as far as to call it a trade because i mean at that point yeah. if you're in if you're living in the robeson's area where they're extorting you for money every day then that's what's gonna happen you know um 
because like their contract, their rent contract is, you know, far more exploitive than knocking over a liquor store. Um, yeah, totally. but, I mean, it's over the top. You can't pay your rent three days later. It's triple. That's insane. And no one would possibly be able to come up with that money, you know? Uh, yeah, totally. I think that's, I think that's like what that suggests, like is an awareness in this film and maybe in the purge as well, that like, uh, the legal structures that everyone says that you're supposed to abide by. Yeah, they're probably not that great. <laughs> might Let's... might they have another purpose than what is written on the tin? Hmm. <laughs> um, another thing I wanted to touch on in this movie is the uh, the comedy because it's uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it's like over the top. There's um, it take <laughs> it's it's interesting. It overlaps nicely with the psychodrama stuff in that it's uh, it almost does like. When I was a kid and I watched it, it, it hit me way harder. Horror is a funny thing. Horror, you make horror, I feel like you're making magic because it's going to, you somehow have to figure out how to make something evocative in a way where it's like, I mean, this movie did scare me when I was a kid and as an adult. Yeah, yeah, I totally get adult, it. Adult, it made me laugh. But part of what was so scary about it, I think when I was a kid, it did this like almost like Kubrickian, David Lynchian overlap between things that were like really not serious and things are really you know oh my god someone's getting stabbed in the face or whatever um and the the moments of comedy are just so ridiculous though there's a moment when uh when uh when roach has a slingshot and he hits daddy in the head with like a rock and then like (laughs) i mean it really almost takes you out of the movie because he just goes like he just turns into like a looney tune he just goes like boing boing, boing, boing," and like stands (laughs) up and his eyes bug out and falls over and it's like it's fucking ridiculous. But that is, that's that's exactly like a kid's view on like getting one over on the bad guy. It's like when when a fool gets cornered and then punches daddy right in the nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like you do the it's like the classic like man get man getting hit by football like no. cup <laughs> and like collapse. Well, you know what it also is is that this is an inversion of the movie uh, Home Alone because oh wow yeah home alone the the rich white <laughs> kid is the hero and he's the criminals or the villains and it's like reversed this time the the kid yeah, the yeah, kid yeah. is the thief and he's also uh the hero or is the people defending the home or the villains so it's about property you know yeah totally i mean he says that a fool says that when he sees like the lounge where he's like oh you could fit 10 families in here it's like oh yeah yeah you think <laughs> 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 I wonder where they. I wonder. I wonder where they got the money to afford to build this kind of place. <laughs> right. Yeah. Definitely not from ten separate families. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. It's just it's unnecessary that they would have to keep going on with this crazy project of building this uh, nightmare castle. But they're insane, and it's all they care about because it's all in service of their, you know, their crazy weird fantasy. And I do, I do love like the repeated slapstick, and it's usually Daddy who is the one who gets the brunt of it. He gets smacked in the head with like a brick at one point, and it's just, it's just amazing. That guy's uh, watching him just—he's a—he's a great physical actor, and he's got a very expressive face. So it just works. He can, oh, yeah. sell, he, can he can take a hit and sell the hell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I think. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I, no, no, go ahead. I don't have anything. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, I like this idea of it being like there's an element of like kids fantasy to it as well as it being like uh, a pretty a pretty self-aware examination of class consciousness. I think 
it puts it in ki- in terms that like a kid would get. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, these are these are it's something deeply satisfying about nailing the bad guy right in the dick with a, with a punch and then making your escape as he like as you say turns into a cartoon character so Wes Craven is an old white man and yet he made a movie that um I don't think is is uh pandering to young people of color I think it's I probably went over really well it's probably pretty fun um he did that through these like you know these styles and levels of humor and comic bookiness and um the, the reason i say this is because also like uh i mean you know obviously can't speak for large groups of people but um something i noticed growing up i grew up in a you know mostly black and brown neighborhood and like would go watch horror movies in uh in like the theater and stuff and um at least you know at my fucking school or my you know generation and the people i was growing up around um you know poc kids loved freddy krueger i went and watched um freddy versus jason in the theater on like a friday night when like you know fucking middle school and high school kids would be hanging out at this tinsel town and like it was like watching pro wrestling like everyone was losing their mind in the fucking theater (laughs) it was so fun it fucking ruled um but freddy particularly i couldn't you know i was like man why Sometimes you look at these cultural artifacts. You go, "Why the fuck? Why do poor kids love Freddy so much? Um, you know, why do uh, why, why is anime so popular in the hood? Like, what's going on with these things? There's just certain like storytelling elements that that um, reach out and and mm. are, are you know they grab people a little bit more. Um, I'd say like Jason is probably less popular to poor kids because he's about a summer camp, which is a thing you're never gonna fucking go to. But yeah, totally. But this larger than life, uh, you know, villain in like Freddy Krueger is like everything, everything you need to know is right there in the movie. And he's fucking he sells it yep. to you and you get your money's worth and you go watch one of those movies. And uh, so like the the comedy that's in this uh, this movie, the people under the stairs is very much in line with like that level. Like, I feel like Wes Craven like learned how to speak to the audience he was trying to speak to before he made this movie which is really cool um it's also you know it's from fucking 30 years ago so upon rewatch it's like corny as fuck and like the (laughs) yeah yeah. you know the hood speak is like way dated and shit and like um it's you know i mean it's it's very on the nose like there's like moments where i think i think the Reagan guy drops an end bomb one at one point in the beginning of this story, and then you're like, "Holy shit, this guy's evil!" Yeah. And then like, there's another point yeah, where yeah, he goes yeah. like, <laughs> he says has half of the word, and then someone fucking hits him or something. You know, he gets God while he's halfway <laughs> through about to drop an end bomb, <laughs> and there's there's a lot of that like, you know, feel good justice back against him. Um, oh yeah. There's also a rap over the ending credits, which is fun. <laughs> right which is which is like yeah. i think it's like the hallmark too like this is like a early 90s movie so you're just coming off the 80s where like if you didn't have a rap did you even make a movie <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's uh it's the rap that i looked it up it was written for the movie do the right thing uh but wasn't played in do the right thing so they 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 just got moved to this or whatever but um i mean that's like I, you know at first when it started because it's got that like 90s feel when, when it started playing i expected it to be like the ninja turtles rap or like something really oh, dumb yeah. yeah i was thinking the exact same thing <laughs> yeah but it was actually like early 90s kind of class conscious hip-hop 
Like it was, you know, yeah, corny yeah, yeah. sounding because it's from the '90s, but it, like lyrically, it was about all this, all the themes that are going on in this movie. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think you're right. There's totally a degree of fantasy in it, right? And we've said this, we've said this before on the show. It's like horror watching a watching the right horror movie is inherently better if you do it together. Like it's it's there's something so there is something so good and right about like a midnight screening where like everybody's losing their mind and it's like you know you know it doesn't have to be like art house culture or whatever yeah. even though you kind of reject the high low culture binary but it's like there's something there's something like collective and cathartic about that kind of about this kind of film right oh yeah totally um yeah I mean high and low I mean like I said like I watched slashers in movie theaters and they were growing up and they were so much fun I, mean, I also watched hereditary when it came out last year in a theater which mm-hmm. is a smarter one arguably and it was fucking great everyone in the theater was totally yeah, yeah. connected um I'm about to go watch I've been uh, watching all of Game of Thrones as it's you know it's ending right now it's later today is the last one and I had a real I had to think about it real hard because I've been watching it at home and then also going to bars and I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out which one's more fun. And the more I think about it, it's like, well, especially because it's like getting dumber and dumber by every episode. But uh, <laughs> uh, now I'm going to go to a bar because I think it would be really fun to be around a bunch of people and I'll go like, holy shit, like, oh, my God, you know, Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, totally. I, th- I think I think I, I really like this film because of that element of like cathartic justice where you're like you know who the bad people are they get what they deserve it's still scary enough that there is like some risk involved like class struggle is an actual struggle because there has to be the danger that you might lose uh and that's what makes it scary you might not get out of the house you might end up being like thrown back down into the basement you might end up uh trying to escape like the people that they've turned against one another by making them cannibals and cutting out their tongues and stuff like that. Um, but at the same time, there is this there is this idea that like you know what at the end of the day, you can find the landlord with its who've got this kind of stack of gold like a fucking dragon's hoard in the basement <laughs> of their house, and uh, you can blow them to pieces. Yeah, I mean it ends on such a good like punch, such a good high note. And a punch, you know, up, not to use one of my less favorite comedic terms, but just socially yeah. a punch up where they fucking kill the landlord and it causes right. wealth <laughs> to literally be redistributed. Through. Literally raised from the sky <laughs> upon this entire community. Yeah. And my, my, like, oh, go, go on, go on. Oh, no, go on, Ash. What are you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say that my, one of my favorite parts about that final sequence, right, is you get, um, I'm totally blanking on their names, but the the woman who lives a fool and then the old man that's their buddy. Um, like they 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 show up at the house and like just like uh you know uh everybody had like put on their disguises to try and con their way into this home. They show up and they're like, we're from like the concerned renters association or something. We want to talk to you about your horrible landlord policies. And like like that's just like nail on the fucking head. Like they are door knocking. They are doing activism. Like it's great to see yep. that in the movie. But then like. You know, everybody has shown up in front of this house before, like, like the explosion happens, before money starts raining from the sky. So everybody was going to come here anyway. And so, yeah. like, you kind of get yeah. the feeling that, like, even if Fool would have lost, even if Roach would have been defeated and nobody would have been able to escape, that, like, the close of this movie is, like, the whole neighborhood's shown up and justice is going to be served one way or another. That's some sweet class consciousness, baby. Because, uh, 
she even says that to them, right? They go yep. knocking on the door and they go, oh, what are you going to do? Just, uh, you know, there's just two of you. Yep. And then, like, we get the pan back and it's like, nope. <laughs> the, whole, the, the whole block has turned up for this. Yeah, and it's a collective action, right? Because everyone else that showed up yeah. tried oh, yes. to get in and fight them individually, thinking that that would be the Wouldn't sneakiest work. way to do it. But it turns out the only way to get one over on these people is if there's just a sheer amount of people standing on their lawn and they can't, like, um, they can't hold up the facade anymore that they're there's just normal shit going on inside the house you know enough people show up you can't turn them away yeah absolutely uh as you know that good leftist slogan uh which is divided we beg united we bargain yeah nope because that's the thing isn't it they can pretend to be uh like a good normal suburban domestic couple when it's just when it's just like a couple of idiot local cops that have turned up they can pretend to to put on that facade of of normality when it's just a couple of people who've tried to get in the house but if the whole neighborhood turns up then there are two there're just too many eyes and their facade of like we're just living the all american dream uh just gets torn apart literally yeah um another thing i'll say about the character arc of fool is uh you know he's telegraphed in the beginning of the story as having uh to face this precarious situation where he has to turn back and you see that a lot even just physically when he's running down hallways and stuff but obviously the main Mm. thing that happens is that he you know goes in the first time escapes from the house with a bunch of uh gold shows it to his uncle or whoever that guy is who appraises it and kind of goes oh this is enough money that we're gonna be like be able to live forever off of but he knows through his little hero's journey and his like conscious that uh his consciousness um no whatever um that you know he has to do what's being described in his tarot reading and it's go back even at you know the risk of his own destruction and like walk through the sun or whatever um and he goes back into the house in order to not just save Alice, the daughter, but solve the whole problem. So instead of being someone who like escapes from poverty and then pulls up the ladder behind them, he realizes like it's way more imperative to, uh, you know, to address the entire problem that created all this poverty to begin with. And that's why it's like such an uplifting, cool story, you know? And it's, he, and he, that, that's what makes he starts it. off wanting to be a doctor, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But if he becomes a doctor, then like, okay, great. That's one doctor, right? The better yeah. thing to do is to blow up the fucking landlord's house. Yeah, totally. That's what makes it such a, a, a socialist film. I mean, because it would have been it would have been easy, right? That would have been the the moment of walking away. That would be the kind of good liberal liberal centrist ending. He makes it out with the money. But he learns like, to code. What we want is. <laughs> yeah. so that, that's the trade he learned at the end of the movie is, is he goes and gets a two-year degree learning like java applets or something <laughs> yeah yeah but but what we want is we want systemic change not individualist yeah. reform yeah. yeah the system the system cannot be reformed and fool knows that and so the only way is to literally destroy it <laughs> literally blow it to pieces <laughs> and and release the stairmaster and his stair buddies into the night <laughs> I just love that the implication is that, like, you know, like, the, 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 like, people from the hood, the townspeople that show up, like, 
that that like you know like they're so connected to class consciousness that they're just like fundamentally unconcerned with like these like <laughs> morlocks that are wandering around them now and they're like yeah. and they're just like like greetings comrade i'm glad you're liberated you know yeah Seven like Eleven's that us. way the, yeah they're just one of us they're one of us <laughs> uh it, it's good folks that's that's the <laughs> that's the final that's the final takeaway it's it, it is a good it is a good film get your comrades around watch people under the stairs and then uh go find your local landlord and have some words <laughs> have some words yeah have have, uh, have a polite rational debate as the movie suggests yeah. very directly as the movie suggests the best <laughs> thing to do is to have a free exchange of ideas in the in the intellectual marketplace uh and maybe reform the housing market with like some tax credits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's all I got on it. I want to say uh, maybe uh, upon rewatch, there might have been a couple more tarot images that jumped out at me. I do I, at one point they make Alice the daughter like scrub a bunch of blood off the floor, and I noticed a still of it looks a lot like uh, one of the tarot cards where there's a fucking bucket of blood next to a, like a woman mm. um i can't remember which one off the top of my head because i'm rusty um but yeah i don't know i mean uh and all this what's funny about this tarot stuff is that it's like it might be in there on purpose it might not be but that's like what you do with tarot is you just use symbolism regardless of whether it's intentional or not so like you know who knows maybe um <laughs> maybe that you could possibly make a people under the stairs deck there might be enough enough information here i don't know oh you totally you totally could yeah I mean, mm. fool, you know, he's the fool. Um, yeah, you just have to draw, I guess, a lot of the goblins from downstairs. Um, <laughs> and and I fully I fully support the kind of remake idea that we <laughs> we had going on there as well. I wanted to do it so bad. Um, <laughs> set it set it in uh, not Trump Tower. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, well, I guess I couldn't be. Well, no, the. All right, I, I gotta go write the script now. It's gonna take. I gotta start making notes. <laughs> right. Things are occurring to me that can and can't happen. Um. Anyway, yeah. Uh. I I'm fucking glad uh, I watched this movie again. I'm so stoked. Someone brought it up to me at like a lefty party, so it makes sense. I didn't come out of the blue, but uh. But goddamn, um, it's so yeah. perfect. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for suggesting it because it is quite possibly the most goth socialist podcast uh, podcast film that we have watched so far <laughs> um and thank you so much for dropping by thank you for coming on the show yeah thanks for having uh, me what what can we plug what can we plug um for you? obviously the podcast pod damn america that's uh, my main thing also if you want to see me do stand up um follow me on twitter and all social media my at is feral jokes which is an anagram for my name jake flores um we got a website too i try to keep up to date but it's kind of a pain in the ass um but i i'll be going on tour a couple times coming up here i think i'm going out on tour through the midwest with street fight and kath barbadoro and then uh nice. probably oh, yeah. some dates uh further up past that on the west coast um but everywhere i mean i just fucking hopped in a bus and went to boston yesterday i'll go anywhere so yeah i don't know man stand up and uh pod damn america for you know leftist comedy goth podcast shit that's that's probably about it hell yeah we'll Amazing. make sure to link out to everything cool yeah we will we will promote the hell out of uh you and everything you do and shout out to the rest of the damned and the pod damn fam uh <laughs> and uh yeah thank you so much again jake for coming on the show yeah no i'm stoked uh we'll get you guys on our show soon 
Thanks for tuning in, creeps and comrades. And remember, stay, stay spooky. spooky.